Of all the countries we've talked about over the years on Travel with Rick Steves, there's one in Europe that I think has never come up until now, the tiny principality of Liechtenstein. It's got fewer than 40,000 citizens, nestled in a little corner of the Alps between Switzerland and Austria. Its citizens have the third highest per capita income in the world. The country was once known mostly for its postage stamps, and lately it's been attracting manufacturing for its low corporate taxes. It also attracted travel writer Dave Seminara to take his family there just in time for its national holiday. And Dave joins us right now to talk about what he learned. Dave, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Rick. I appreciate it. What a cool idea for your book, your book, uh, Bed, Breakfast, and Drunken Threats, Dispatches from the Margins of Europe. And when we think about Liechtenstein, it falls through the cracks, doesn't it, in a lot of ways? (laughs) Oh, it certainly does. I love going to obscure places like this, and especially, you know, little microstates. I know a lot of people like to go to weird countries, small countries like this, just for the sort of the claim to fame of saying, hey, I've been there. Right. But um, this place has some very interesting claims to fame to it. And there's, you know, if you take the time to dig around a little bit, you find some interesting stuff. Well, you had a fun chapter about that, sharing that. And before we get into the, those kind of details, let's talk about the country just in general. As I mentioned, it's squeezed in the Alps between Switzerland and Austria. And every time I drive through that area, I always find myself driving down the uh, freeway there right along the Rhine River. And the Rhine River is the uh, western border of Liechtenstein. And then it goes right up to the tops of the mountains there, which I guess is the border for Austria. And uh, the capital city, Vaduz, is uh, 5,000 people. Describe what you find when you tour Liechtenstein. As I think you pointed out from your visit, Rick, this is not a place you go really for sightseeing necessarily in terms of seeing museums and the sites and such. But what it does have is the great natural beauty of the Alps and the Rhine River Valley. And I think that's really the the star attraction here. But there are some other interesting geographical points about it to you as well, too. It's one of only two countries in the world that's doubly landlocked. It's also a country with no army. Uh, no airports, and uh, you don't actually even need your passport to get in there because the borders are completely unpatrolled and unmanned. There's no customs union. Well, is it actually just kind of freeloading on Switzerland for the uh, those kind of bigger state functions? It's a good question. Technically, Switzerland does not defend their borders. Um, I've asked about this, and if there were ever some sort of an emergency, male Lichtensteiners would be called up to defend the borders of the country, although they have had a customs agreement with Switzerland since 1924, and they use the Swiss franc, but technically they are supposed to be defending their own borders if there was ever some sort of an emergency. So is, is it actually as independent as uh, Luxembourg or Belgium or, or other small countries? It is. It's, it's interesting. It's been completely uh, independent since 1806, and it's really sort of a miracle that this country actually still exists as a sovereign country, Rick. I mean, you have to think about this as this was basically a Habsburg backwater that you know, even Hitler did not bother to capture when he annexed Austria in 1938. There were really no resources there, nothing strategic about it, and it was essentially just ignored. And it was really a poor sort of agrarian country until after World War II when some of their sovereigns had the good sense to sort of court some industry. Pretty soon you had some manufacturing, you had a number of banks that took off, and uh, over a period of, let's say, 40 to 50 years, it went from being this very poor country where their citizens would have to walk into Switzerland every day to find work, where now 
you have 20 to 25,000 people from Switzerland and Austria who actually commute hmm. into Liechtenstein to work now. And as you pointed out, it's one of the richest countries in the world. So it's kind of a success story. It's quite a success story, and it's quite small, and it's quite fortunate because it's got nice neighbors in a very stable part of the world that's wealthy anyways. You know, in Switzerland, they're not on the euro. They've got their own Swiss franc. It's sort of an island of non-euro population. And to, I think, a, a great degree, that's because they make a lot of money by allowing anonymous banking. So people who have money they want to hide out can have a bank account in Switzerland, and, and the Swiss have standards that are different from the standards that countries that have the euro have, and they don't want to meet the European requirements because that would be very costly for their banking industry. And Liechtenstein has the same kind of industry, doesn't it? They have the Swiss franc, and they've got a lot of people using their banking system. That's correct. There's 15 big banks there, Rick. And the crown prince uh, is the chairman of one of them. However, a lot of the Swiss banking rules, the privacy rules, they changed in 2008. And both Switzerland and Liechtenstein were sort of forced to do away with a lot of that privacy. That anonymity that used to exist does not exist anymore. So that hmm. caused a little bit of a blip in the economy of Liechtenstein around 2008, 2009, 2010. And there was also the crown prince's bank there was a gentleman who worked at the bank who actually sold the information of many thousands of basically tax cheats to the German, U.S., and I believe French tax authorities. Oh, my goodness. He sold this information to them and is now in exile in Australia. He made a whole bunch of money, basically. He made a lot of money and a lot of enemies. <laughs> I mean, he, he, well, he's still a wanted man in Liechtenstein. There's apparently still a warrant for this guy's arrest. He's considered, I believe, a traitor amongst the financial and banking community in Liechtenstein. But things have changed a little bit. The privacy that existed in the banking sector uh, even 10 years ago does not yeah. exist anymore. Okay. But banking's still a big part of their economy, I guess. It's still something like 25% of their GDP, oh. and I think mm -hmm. manufacturing is about 40%. But yeah, it's still very big. And this is, they have uh, the royal family there is one of the richest royal families in Europe, and they're mm -hmm. worth, I don't know, six or seven billion dollars, and most is of that, that right? is from banking. So wow. that's right. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Dave Seminar, and Dave's written a book called Bed, Breakfast, and Drunken Threats, Dispatches from the Margins of Europe, and one of his chapters covers Liechtenstein. I believe you mentioned that it's, it's such a charming little family-feeling country that when you get on the bus, the bus driver generally knows people's names. Oh, absolutely. And if you have the Swiss travel pass, by the way, this is a little-known fact that you can travel for free all over the buses of Liechtenstein. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's covered. So if you happen to have a Swiss train pass, you can ride around on the buses of Liechtenstein. And what a joy it is because they arrive to the second on time, Rick. <laughs> and the bus drivers uniformly speak English and are helpful. And the way people get on the bus and they know the bus driver's name and they exchange greetings with each other, it really is like a bit of Mayberry in the middle of the Alps. Now, Dave, you went there to be there for the national holiday. That's August 15th Correct. with your family. Tell us uh, why you wanted to be there then and what it was like. Right. So several years before, I had written a story about this uh, gentleman who represented his country, Liechtenstein, in the Davis Cup, which is like tennis's version of the World Cup when he was only 14 years old. He was the youngest person in the in the history of this tournament to play. And when you're from a small little country like Liechtenstein and you're an athlete, you've got a great chance to set records, right? Because there aren't that <laughs> many people around. So we had stayed in touch. And he told me, you know, someday you should come visit and you should come on August 15th because this is our national day. And well, my wife had a, a business meeting that she had in Zurich and we thought we've got some time. We decided let's be there for their big day. And we were there for it. Hmm. And what was that like? 
Well, it's an amazing day to be there. There's a huge outdoor party. So, you know, the, the royal family lives in the Vaduz Castle, which is a 12th century castle, which is perched on a hill above the capital city. And I call it city. You know, it's a place with 5,000 inhabitants. So it's not mm. much of a city, but you can sort of march up a very steep hill above Vaduz towards this gorgeous 12th century castle, which I think you have seen yourself, Rick. I, you know, I love place. that situation. If you think about this tiny little yeah. principality, you could bike across it before lunch, and you got the cute little prince that's got his palace on the top of a bluff, and he can stand in his front yard and survey his domain. And I just, I love that. And to think that he opens his place up for this festival, is it actually like, hey, it's open house, come on, meet the prince? No, no, it's not quite that good. Okay. They only open up the garden of the place. So okay. they're not letting you inside the actual castle. If you want to get inside the actual castle, Rick, you have to be a citizen of the country who turns 18 years old. So this is the time when you're invited in. Uh, Lichtensteiners, the year that they turn 18, ah. are allowed to come into the castle for a special like 18-year-old party. Mm -hmm. And also one other day of the year, they invite underprivileged children, of which there are not very many in Liechtenstein, but those mm -hmm. children are invited in one day of the year too. But other than that, the interior of the castle is off limits because the family actually lives there with their four children. You actually were there and you got to meet the prince and, uh, yes. and it was like uh, free lunch or what was the deal? Yeah, well, first of all, you have to suffer through uh, some speeches from politicians. So they do not open up the free bar. The royal family pays for an open bar uh, with kegs of beer and sandwiches and such. But first, you need to listen to some politicians give some speeches when everyone is kind of sitting around tapping their feet, looking over at the bar, which is not quite open yet. But first, you know, everyone's sitting there listening to the speeches. OK, let's go. Let's go. And as soon as the speeches are over, they play the national anthem of Liechtenstein, which is set to the tune of God Save the Queen, which I just loved. Hmm. They do have their own lyrics, but it's set to God Save the Queen. Then they open up the bar, and there's a mad bum rush for the kegs of beer. And then the music starts to play. There's a great oompa band. And people try to gravitate towards the royal family to get their photo taken and to say hello. Ah. And we were lucky because it started to rain. And you know we were there for a long weekend. It rained almost the whole time. But the rain turned out to be very lucky for us because it scared some people away. And it started raining very hard, and I, we were able to inch closer and closer to the family. And we're getting very close to the crown prince. My wife was feeling very shy about it, and I said, we've got to go up to him and introduce ourselves. He had very little security. He had one gentleman holding the umbrella over his head, and he had another security guy behind him. But other than that, he's just sitting there drinking beer from a plastic cup, just like anybody else, never mind the fact that he's got $7 billion in a castle. I remember going there in the old days when there were more borders in Europe and tourists would collect stamps in their passports. We'd actually drive into the country to get a stamp in our passports with our tour groups. Yes. And we'd stop in Vaduz long enough to go to the post office and buy sheets of brand new, never used uh, stamps. And they were collector's items, and I still have these. I've got no idea what they're worth, but you really don't get a stamp in your passport like you did in the old days. Uh, you can get one, actually, Rick. They understand the tourists would like to have one while they're there, so they actually sell them at the main visitor's information office. Actually, oh, is that right? Visitor's information. And they cost only two euros. I actually had to wait in line to get mine. There's quite a few people so there. So that was your souvenir from Liechtenstein. That's right. It cost two euros, and they will stamp your passport for Very you. Very nice. Dave Seminara, thanks so much. And uh, it's fun reading through your book, Bed, Breakfast, and Drunken Threats. Thank you very much. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, 
free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.